0: What Liz and I wanted to feel ourselves and wanted to empower others to feel and to experience was that motherhood can be an opportunity to nurture, not lose yourself, and that you can be a new, even better version of yourself than before.
1: I'm Carly Zakin, and I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5 ish with the skin.
2: Hi, everyone. Today, our guests are Jill Koziel and Liz Tennedy, co founders of Motherly. Back in 2015, Jill and Liz realized there was not any content that empowered millennial moms. Instead, there was outdated content that ignored the identities and accomplishments women have beyond being a mother. This sparked the idea for their company, Motherly, which is a digital platform that centers millennial moms through expert driven and non judgmental content about motherhood parenting, and everything in between. And what started as a small community has exploded in recent years as the need for this kind of content has grown. In 2019, the company launched its Webby award-winning podcast, which features stories from all kinds of moms, and Motherly launched its first state of motherhood survey, which is the most in-depth research survey of millennial moms of its kind. And in 2021, they launched motherly classes, which help women learn about everything from giving birth to postpartum life. Jill and Liz, congrats on all. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Thanks so
0: much for having us. We're so happy to be here.
2: We are thrilled to have you both. We love having a pair of co-founders on, and we like to start the show with lightning rounds, quick questions, quick
1: answers. Are you ready? Let's do it. Jill, what's the first job you got paid for? Babysitter. (laughs) Very on brand. Yes.
2: <laughs> Jill, what was your first screening?
0: Oh my gosh. Can I even remember that far back? Oh, I think, you know what? FG Loke, which was Fabulous Girls, like Loke, it's between like and love. Oh my God. That is just mm-hmm. There's a Fabulous Girls Guide to Life
1: book back in <laughs> Honestly, the early 2000s. That, oh is, that
2: is just a great answer.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Liz. Who's in your most frequently used group
3: chat? The real tenacity chat. So that's that's my family, my siblings, my husband and and where we share political news and family updates and cute pics of my kids.
2: Liz, you have four children, one on the way. What is a name that you are not going to name the fifth but was your mm-hmm. dream name for a child?
3: Uh Grace. I'm not going to have another daughter. I will have four sons and a daughter. So Grace is not going to make it. I have
1: two boys, but I always love Grace for a middle name. That would have been my pick. sweet. It was up there.
3: But someone else will use it. Maybe my sister. We'll see.
1: Liz, who is the most interesting person you've had on the Motherly podcast? So I had Esther Perel
3: on the podcast, who is just like my hero in life. But on that episode, she was obviously amazing, but she said that good moms don't have to go to all their kids' sports games. And that was like a paradigm shift for me. And really like that little thing meant a lot about owning my own identity and priorities as a woman and also a mother of many
1: kids and lots of sports going on in my life. So I want to ask a quick follow-up on that with all of the things you just said, like, how do you calm down? Like, Mm. how do you unwind?
3: I unwind by actually having an early bedtime, keeping the lights down low. I have automatic music that is calming that comes on at 7.30 every night to start, sort of set the mood. I guess I've created a little bit of a ritual of unwinding. It like literally happens automatically in our house. I If there are bright lights on after 8 p.m., I'm like on a rampage turning them off, which isn't exactly the vibe, but is how I feel like I want that sense of space and everyone to calm down at the end of a... Long
1: day, which is every day. So what time do you go to bed? 9 p.m. And what time do you get up? 5.30. Because your children wake you up or that's just the, okay.
3: Yeah, I used to be a night owl. In fact, I always felt that I did my best writing and creative work in the evening. And small children get up early. And over the years, I've actually had to find my personal time before they wake up. And that's my quiet time now. And I really look forward to it.
1: Jill, when is your personal time?
0: Mine is probably I'm I am really adamant about working out at least 3 times a week. I do legree, um which is like pilates on steroids, and then I always try to find a little time in the evening before I go to bed as well.
2: Jill, what is one of the more shocking things that you learned from the recent state of motherhood survey?
0: Oh, Uh, I learned from the most recent state of motherhood, this is our 2021, our fifth annual, I learned that nearly half of today's mothers are the primary breadwinner in their families, earning 50% or more of their income. I I always knew that moms were an economic powerhouse, um, and it really came to fruition this year.
2: I'm like taking that in. It's pretty jarring.
1: (laughs) Well, jarring because there's so much more they're taking on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and our state of motherhood is the largest statistically significant study. And so it's important to know that we had 20,000 women, nearly 20,000 women take it this past year. And then we weight the data to the U.S. census data. And so it truly is statistically accurate. And that's really important to know that this is a place to go for you know first-party data on who today's mom is. And she is. She's still carrying a very uneven burden of all the ramifications of from the pandemic. She's carrying the mental load. The physical load, and now the economic load in families as well. Liz,
2: you're working with Jill. You see that Jill is having a bad day. What do you order for lunch for her?
3: Mm. Well, we live very far away. And when she's had bad days, I have sent her care kits. So she loves tea. She's very into her wellness. I'm sure she'll talk more about it, but putting her own health first is just really authentic and true of who she is and how she organizes her life. So I've sent I've sent like virtual like Instacart get well kits with like lots of good teas and I don't know. She's still kicking so I think it works. <laughs>
2: the many
0: times I've had COVID, yes. Too. There's always a
2: care package <laughs> arriving. Okay, Jill, you see Liz, having a moment, what do you order for her?
0: Flowers. Liz loves beautiful things, flowers. It's important that she has beautiful things that inspire her creatively.
1: That's so nice. Danielle, take notes. So nice. I know. Carly, I was just thinking the same thing. (laughs) I love flowers. (laughs) An Instacart
2: thing would be great. So Danielle, just either one is fine. Maybe both.
1: You know, okay. Instacart can deliver flowers for you too. We yeah, do that you just do one order. I guess. just like do can one. It yeah, yes. it'll be easier for you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'm not going to make it easy for you. So, <laughs> okay. So both of you are married to Navy vets who were in service while you were together. Were either of you pregnant, or did you ever have to raise kids without the support of your partner uh, while holding it down at work? And when I say support of your partner, I mean like their physical presence. Yeah. The answer is yes. I think for both of us, my
0: husband was not on deployment when we had a child, but he was an admiral aide to an admiral in the Pentagon. And so he traveled a ton and for extensive periods of time when we first had our daughter. So for the first nine months of her life, he was gone very consistently.
3: Somewhat of a similar story. We were... Stationed also in DC at the very end when we became parents, um, we had our first child. I had always imagined I would be more of a stay-at-home mom. That was my idea, in fact, because all the narrative around working motherhood was so negative. So I was just like, uh, I just assumed that that was true and that I couldn't be the kind of um, professional woman that I wanted to be and a great mom. So my husband was transitioning out of the Navy when my son was just one years old. I decided I needed to keep my job while we figured out if he was going to go to grad school, where he was going to go to grad school. I only kept working. I only went back to work from maternity leave because of the uncertainty of post-military life. I, I literally had to, we needed a paycheck, right? And so having to do that, I realized I could do it. And I didn't know that I could. And in fact, I have to thank a boss who at a time when this was not common, told me when we were leaving D.C. to go to grad school, he said, why don't you just do your job for the Washington Post? Why don't you just do your job from California and let's just see what happens? And really what happened was a whole world of professional possibilities open to me that I didn't even you know know that I could do. I, I really needed to do it in order to believe that it was possible. So that, that Navy definitely played a role in needing to be the breadwinner for our family and then discovering things about myself along the way.
2: We started this interview by asking what surprised you in the in the motherly survey. And one of the things you said was that how much women who responded to the survey were the breadwinners. And obviously that's, that represents a lot of what women are going through today. When you look back on, on your own personal experiences, ho- literally holding down the fort in, in more ways than one, what would, like, just put us in your shoes. Like how did you prioritize to take care of yourself while also taking care of a growing family and trying to keep a relationship
0: afloat? doesn't that sound exhausting? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like tired. listening. Um, So Liz and I had parallel lives in a lot of ways. We did have husbands that went to the Naval Academy. We were working mothers to very young children. And then they both ended up at Stanford for business school. And that is when we finally met. And so we both had similar experiences of raising young children, having additional children while our husbands were in business school and supporting our family during that time. And for me, I mean, I look back at my marriage and my career back then, and it was really much, much harder. My life did not look the way that it does now. It was incredibly challenging. It was it was taking a lot of risk, frankly, for them leaving the military, going to business school, us each individually supporting them during that time, but also having children and then wanting to be entrepreneurial myself, too. It was very, very trying those were probably the years that i felt maybe least close to my husband because we were we were just trying to keep our heads you know above water financially emotionally physically and for me prioritizing my wellness was like the very bottom of the list and it wasn't until about 3 months after we launched motherly when i was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis that i really had the wake-up call that I needed to prioritize my health and to start to advocate for women and specifically mothers to be
1: unapologetically supporting and prioritizing their health. There's so much in there. I think one of one of the things that you hear a lot out there is you need to support yourself, the idea of taking time for yourself. And a lot of times the things that are put on, Instagram or TikTok feel like things that are really just not not achievable or not realistic, and even the pressure of saying you have to take time for yourself. Like I have two little kids, I'm obviously an entrepreneur. It's some days when people say that I just want to be like that is not helpful. What would you say to the women who are listening to this and? feeling that like, how did you guys take that first step into what seems to be this, this beautiful chapter that you've grown your lives into?
0: Again, this, the picture looked very different then.
1: And I, in some
0: ways, multiple sclerosis was a gift because it, it, it gave me an opportunity to, to, put my self-care first. It gave me a reason to be unapologetic about that. And through that, I've learned a lot of things. I've really learned and really deeply believe that when a mother thrives, families and communities can thrive and that we have to be strong. We have to be our best selves. And frankly, as, as a CEO and a co-founder, like I have to be my best self so that our company can as well. And so realizing that at the core of all of that is my health is something I wish every single woman, every single mother could really see and understand their importance and their value in their lives and how their health is really at the center of that. And it's not about, it's like if you read a self-help book and you try to do every single thing in that self-help book, you're going to fail. It's fine. Just that one little piece that works for you. So for example, I took a transcendental meditation class and that suggests or, or says that you meditate twice a day for 20 minutes that is not happening in my life. And so it wasn't until this last year that I finally said, you know, I have the tools to meditate. I'm going to do 10 minutes a day. And that has actually been transformational for me, 10 minutes a day. And so it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You can find the space that works and fits within your life, whether it's meditation or working out or eating healthy. Don't set yourself up for failure. Just find the little pieces that work for you and your life in that moment and allow it to keep evolving. I
3: I just want to add to what Jill said because my story is pretty similar. You know, I think in our culture, and frankly, as startup co-founders, like productivity is everything, and that is a kind of endless loop that feels like it never ends. So, you know, first you'll put your work meetings on your calendar, and then you'll put your kids' stuff on your calendar, and then there's literally nothing left, and like maybe you can breathe on Saturday morning before soccer practice or whatever for your kids. I think over the years. Being more convicted through the data at Motherly, through my own experience working as an advocate for moms, I've become more radicalized in what it's actually going to take because this is not an individual problem. It is a cultural, structural, political, corporate problem. And so for me, helping women realize it doesn't actually have to be this way. It has not ever been this way and certainly not as hard and burdensome as it is on working American families. Working American mothers, in fact, are the least happy group of any group of mothers around the world because of the lack of support. And I literally was having this exact conversation with my husband last night. I said, okay, we just went over everything that we have to do this week, but like, where's the stuff that's going to pour into us this week that's going to give us the energy to endure this? And I think I've really mentally gone from knowing that self-care matters to it is a conviction that I'm living it on a day-to-day basis. And like that does mean that other things have shifted. So at Motherly now, I am part-time. I am not a full-time co-founder as of last year because there was no space. And also I'm a really creative person and we were able to bring in a day-to-day operator that is even better at day-to-day operations than me. So really being unapologetic about having needs as a human being, because we are not superhuman as mothers, having needs asking a lot more of the people and structures around us and putting ourselves on the calendar first because the momentum of our culture is towards everyone other than mothers, towards kids. And I think we have to take some of our power back. And that's where I've been able to find space and like really become unapologetic about it. We had Eve Rodsky
2: on our podcast recently. He talks a lot about this and about preserving your own identity as your individual world begins to expand. I want to take us back before you started Motherly and what actually brought the inspiration to start it, which is you both felt in different ways that you were being treated like on a mommy track once you became a parent and were being treated differently in the workplace. Just share that. I would love to share that experience. Jill, would love to hear from you.
0: So that's exactly right. When Liz called me with an idea This entrepreneurial feeling that she was having around modern motherhood and not feeling as a millennial mother herself that it was being reflected back, I just head nodding immediately like, yes, 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 I feel this so... Deeply in my soul, the media and brands generally treated motherhood almost as cartoonish, as incredibly one dimensional. They played to these really antiquated mommy wars working mom versus stay at home mom. And this was just not a reflection of our identities and what we were experiencing. And What Liz and I wanted to feel ourselves and wanted to empower others to feel and to experience was that motherhood can be an opportunity to nurture, not lose yourself, and that you can be a new, even better version of yourself than before. Motherly for us started with that nugget, started with this concept, this idea that we could empower this generation, the first generation in history in which women are more educated than men which means that they're having children later, they've been in the workforce, they know who they are, that we could help them understand that they didn't have to lose that, that the woman that they were before becoming a mother still mattered and was really important to continue to nurture.
1: I want to talk a little bit more, Liz, about the decision that you made about your role at Motherly. And how it changed as you expanded your family. And you said that, you know, and I'm putting words in your mouth a little bit, but like something needed to change for you to have room for you. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times what's presented as taking a step back professionally in some way or making room for that is also what gives, I think it's sometimes voice to like, this mommy track idea, and I love how you presented it as very much like a choice that gave you freedom. How did you think about making that decision? And what are some of the things that you kept in mind while you were thinking about your family and your work, which is not just a job. I know when you start a company, it's a big part of your identity.
3: Yeah, Well, I distinctly remember in those early days, I was in my Stanford apartment and on the phone with Jill, fleshing out this idea for what would become motherly. And I did say to her, you know, I have this idea. I feel like it could be really big. And I want to have a large family. And I just need you to know that I don't know what that is going to look like along the way. But if we're going to get married here to this business and be co-founders together, like you need to know that there's this other big thing in my life. I just always wanted a large family ever since I met my husband. But I do think the qualities of who I personally am can't be divided from like, this is work Liz and this is individual Liz. This is Liz as a mother. I'm really creative. I'm really motivated. I, I've developed and I did not always have, but I've developed a growth mindset about so many areas of my life. So we've been at it almost eight years, right? Seven and a half, go, close, closing out on eight. For you and I. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Over the years, I think just a sort of leadership and management philosophy that I personally have developed is that when we bring in talent with skill sets and superpowers on another level, we can go faster together. So I think over the years, it didn't feel like I was changing or losing or leaving something. It felt like my next evolution. And so I think we reached the point at the company where. I'm actually really proud that we could get to a place where I wasn't critical to the day-to-day operations and that I realized I can have more energy. I can give more to, yes, myself, yes, my family, but also the overarching goals of this business by bringing in someone whose superpower is content operations because it's just not mine. And that's fine. We all have different strengths. So I'm really grateful that Jill from the day, you know, the first day that I told her that I was starting to feel as I'd already just maybe had my fourth child and I was maybe nine months postpartum. But I really don't want to, quote, blame it on having a large family. It really has was a part of my own personal evolution, the company's growth. I mean, we just hit Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing companies. The year that I stepped down, like, I'm proud of that as a co-founder, right? Like, I'm smart enough to know like when the next guy needs to come in and, and take over. I'm still involved to do special projects here. I have Other things outside of motherly, even my family that I'm really happy to be pursuing. We've built a great company. It's still growing. So it doesn't feel like a loss. And frankly, like even letting myself enjoy the accomplishments of life so far, rather than being worried about the next thing or what other people will think about me, like that's a, that's a personal growth item for me as well. So I hope that answers your question, but um, it's been, a, it's been a, a long
2: journey. It, it does. And, and you should be proud and congratulations. I think when I'm listening to you talk about the journey, the thing that you said two or three times is you sat down with Jill and shared how you were feeling or also like managed expectations when you guys started working together, which we get asked a lot about like, what are ways to make a co-founder relationship work? And the key is like the trust and communication. And so I'm curious, like between the two of you, was that there right away? Like, how did you get to that point where it sounds like you guys have been in sync this whole time?
0: You know, the secret sauce to Motherly, if people ask, what is the secret behind Motherly and our growth and, and what we've been able to build? And it honestly is our partnership. It is truly the trust and the professional and personal respect we have for each other. I believe from the very beginning, we talked about ego from the very, very early days when we were talking about equity and roles and responsibilities and who was doing what. We were always open with each other about those types of things. We were able to be vulnerable with each other and talk about things that frankly, women aren't thought of as talking about, like their ego and their ambition and those types of things. And I think that because we were vulnerable, we learned to trust each other. And because Liz and I have very different superpowers and expertise, we also knew that we couldn't do this without the other person. I am not a genius content strategist. Liz is not a chief executive when it comes to operating and running the business and fundraising and Mm -hmm. and the spreadsheets. And so I think we've always had a lot of mutual respect for each other and what we do. We also have We didn't start out as friends. We kind of described this as almost an arranged marriage. We got married really fast um, in this partnership. But over the years, a very deep friendship came to be also. We share a lot of the same values, like internal values, and that's helped to guide us. And we we also know that no one else knows what it's like to be co-founder of Motherly. And because that has been such a strong bond. And so frankly, the hardest part about Liz taking a step back has been that I started my morning every single day talking to Liz, just as a friend and also as just the person who understood that I could have all the shorthand with about what was going on with Motherly. And like, no one will ever care about this business as much as she possibly can. And that's just from growing it herself with me, you know, side by side through all of this. And we found ways, I have an amazing chief of staff now, and we found ways to work around through all of that. But I'd say it's just mutual respect. And I love that woman. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think I trust her. We've always felt like there's so many different ways to get to our sort of big vision of, of motherly as impactful as it could be. And I think you build up trust. You kind of take a leap of faith and then you build up trust over all these like little decisions and being able to share feedback. Um, was uncomfortable, but it's funny. This is very strange, but I had one boyfriend before I met my husband. I was 19 um, when I met my husband and I had a hard time being honest with this pre-husband boyfriend, this one boyfriend. I didn't want to upset him. I didn't want him to disagree with me. And as soon as I got out of that relationship, I was like, I cannot not be honest in any future relationship that I have. And that is what came up for me hearing you guys ask this question, because when I met my husband, I was like, I'm just going to tell him how it is all the time. I'm going to practice being uncomfortable and like bringing stuff to him. And I think that same ethos is like what's made this possible, like transparency, honesty, uncomfortable conversations. And it's like a marriage, you know, it's why I learned the lesson in a, in a dating relationship.
2: This is obviously a podcast, so you can't see Danielle and I, but we're both smiling because I'm (laughs) like, everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, exactly, totally.
1: We have three minutes left, and there are three questions I want to get to, so we're going to do it really quickly. That is my clue to not talk. Okay. Yes, exactly. What do you think is missing from the conversation around supporting mothers in the workplace? And really, what is the biggest thing? Because there's a lot missing.
3: I'm going to jump in here. I'm going to say, I think dads, stop asking women how they make it work. Start asking men. We are tired of this conversation. We know from advocacy, research, really the problem is a lack of leadership from men, a lack of vulnerability, a lack of people asking that question of how fathers are involved. How do you manage it all? Where do you do your work calls? How do you, oh, Where are the kids right now? I think that's what's missing is this should not be a conversation that's owned and lobbed at women because we're managing an unfair burden because we're not asking more of men and frankly, the structures and systems that they have built over decades.
0: Yes, this is about caregiving. This is about motherhood. This is about how we value caregiving in this country and the responsibilities and the burdens of it.
1: We've got a listener question from Leilani. Leilani wants to know, I'm an expecting mom and I want to get ahead of being referred to as my kid's mom rather than being me, Leilani. What's one practice you wish you implemented before your kid was born to ensure that when they were born, you still felt like your whole self? You know, I, I really felt it was important to go into motherhood with an open mind
0: I, I also wasn't sure if I was going to want to be a stay-at-home mom or a working mom or whether I'd have the privilege of being able to do either of them, frankly. So I would say just give yourself some grace in the very beginning of motherhood to let your identity unfold a bit. And so it's, it's not necessarily about holding on so tight to who you were before, but it's giving yourself the grace and the space to actually evolve and, I, and find yourself in motherhood And then I promise you'll see the things, you'll see it connect. You'll find those connections there. And so it's less about putting that burden on other people to make sure that they see you as the whole person. And it really
1: comes from inside. Agree. I held on to it, tried to so tightly instead of thinking about it as additive. Hmm. And I, I don't know, I would say reframe it for yourself to give you more possibility. Yes, exactly. Okay. Last question. Who is someone else we should have on the show?
3: Tiffany Dufu, who wrote Drop the Ball. And she also is a startup founder of The Crew, which I believe is like a mentoring program in small groups. I mean, talk about a paradigm shift. Her whole thing is about how women need to do less in order to accomplish more and take space for themselves. So if you haven't had her on already, she's a force of nature. And I really appreciate her leadership in that conversation.
2: That's a great rec. Well, Liz, Gel. Thank you so much for this conversation, for the fantastic work you put out. And it's always, like I said, fun for us to talk all this stuff with other co-founders. So I appreciate
1: it. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's
2: a really good account. I promise.